Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Hurram Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of this podcast. As always, I appreciate the support and for you taking some time out of your day to support and listen to the podcast. I hope you guys are uh, doing well today. I'm doing well myself. It's uh, another cold winter day here in Canada, as it basically is every day during the winter. But I'm excited to be putting out another episode of this podcast. Uh, and for today's episode, I wanted to sort of shift gears a bit. I know for the last two episodes, we spoke about hate crimes and online hate crimes, which were sort of interconnected because, of course, I think that is a pretty important conversation to have within Canada right now, given the circumstances of what's happened for the past few months and the past year. But for today's episode, I wanted to sort of take a more, I guess, uh, you know, a less structured episode. I wanted to focus on a more of an abstract episode topic. And for today's episode, I wanted to focus on sort of reflecting on COVID-19 and the COVID-19 world. And essentially what I'm saying is I want to reflect on the last two years because it's been a very, um, you know, I guess, interesting last two years. And then some in you know uh, some good ways i'm sure i'm sure there's been some great things for some people out there uh, in the past 2 years and at the same time of course with covid and the likelihood of it is that a lot of us have obviously had our lives impacted in some negative way and whatnot in in you know the the, the past 2 years and so I, I guess i wanted to take a step back and kind of look at the past 2 years reflect on it really try to I don't know if I could say understand it, but really, I guess, take a second to really think about it. And like I said, this isn't going to be an episode with an exact purpose, but just sort of a reflection on it and then connecting it back, of course, to our lives as Muslims and Islam itself, or at least my take on how I would connect it back to Islam and, uh, you know, being Muslim. But I mean, of course, you guys are always welcome to have a different take. And so before I get into some of the other nitty-gritty parts of this episode, I wanted to first take a step back, and that's really to go back to where we started from, which was the pre-COVID world in 2019, as crazy as that sounds, almost three years ago. But in 2019, that was the pre-COVID world. And then kind of zoom back up to where we are now two years later. And again, that's still crazy to say out loud that it's been two whole years but it pretty much has. And if it goes on any longer, it'll be three years. Let's say, inshallah, it doesn't. Regardless, the first case that was reported of COVID-19 in Canada, and of course, I'll only be focusing on Canada for this. I'm sure each country has their own statistics and whatnot, but the first reported case of COVID-19 occurred in Wuhan, China, of course, on December 31st, 2019. And so basically, it is at the very end of 2019 that the first case of COVID-19 is reported. So like the very last day of 2019, like the last parting gift that 2019 gives to the world was COVID-19. The very last thing. And the likelihood is, is that the disease itself originally spread in China. Um, and by likelihood, I am not implying any of the, you know, the the really dumb conspiracy theories that, you know, that Wuhan was, uh, you know, created in a lab or something by China. 
that China purposely put out to its own citizens to destroy the world or something like that. Like, I don't know, why would China do that? Why would China, you know, do it in its own country? Wouldn't it make sense to put it in another country? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, there, there's definitely some conspiracy theories. Regardless, the scientific opinion, which is usually the opinion you should follow, says that the disease likely started in Wuhan through a variety of different means. They, I don't know if they've narrowed down how it actually began, but regardless, it began in Wuhan, China. Shifting gears here to Canada, the first case in Canada is reported on January 25th, 2020 at the Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. I believe it's located in Toronto. Uh, and the case was a 56-year-old man who had had a persistent dry cough and a fever, of course, what we now know as the symptoms of COVID-19. He and his wife had recently traveled to, of course, Wuhan, China. Of all the places, of all the places they could have traveled from, it had to have been from Wuhan, China. And so, yes, basically Canada's first case was a case that directly came from the source of COVID. So that was some bad luck, in my opinion, at least. Um, Regardless, the, the man, uh, I couldn't find whether or not he actually survived or not. They probably didn't disclose it. And so before this, just before sort of COVID-19 hits, the two main stories, at least two major stories that were playing throughout the country in Canada were, number one, the victims of the airliner uh, that had been struck by an Iranian missile. If some of you guys remember that, that this was sort of a, you know, a big deal before COVID hit. There was a... a airliner that had been struck by an Iranian missile and of course a lot of innocent civilians died and that was obviously a a very big deal at that rate and and then the second major story at least in Ontario a major story that was playing out uh, that comparatively was more major than some of the other provinces was that the provincial uh, teachers union was uh, they were protesting wages and working conditions with the province. And so the provincial government and the provincial teachers union were going head to head because the teachers wanted better working standards, better pay, etc., etc. And of course the province was sort of reluctant to give them that. And then since then, the two years since the first COVID-19 case and all the way till now, there have been, at least at the time of this recording, um, because I may record this before actually releasing it, Uh, But at the time of this recording, there are a total of 3,275,916 reported cases in Canada with a total of 112,494 active cases. So this means there's 3 million cases that have been that have occurred in Canada since the end of 2019. So since the beginning of the crisis of COVID-19. Till now, there have been 3,275,916 confirmed cases and a total of 3,125,975 recovered cases. So of those 3,275, etc., etc., there's been 3,125, etc., etc., recovered cases. So yes, a vast majority of people do recover, but of course with COVID, Uh, A lot of people also feel sort of these COVID after effects or these COVID, uh, you know, long COVID where people continue to have impacts on their lives 
even after recovering from COVID. And of course, the most unfortunate statistic is that since the beginning of the pandemic, there have been 36,450 confirmed deaths. So it is very you know, unfortunate that 36,000 people have lost their lives, which is enormous to you know, put into consideration, right? 36,000 people have died uh, since uh, the beginning of COVID-19, at least here in Canada. And you know, obviously, comparatively, there have been some other countries that have had it way worse than Canada has had. But regardless, I think that you, know, you have to still look at that number and say, that's 36,000 too many. And it's just, you know, amazing to, to look back and really take into the totality of what COVID-19 has done in, you know, just the two years it's been here and how much the world has really changed because of it. And, you know, this is where I sort of transition into the next part of this episode. And really, I want to look at, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the, the issues that COVID-19 has caused since it's been here, you know, the political, social, and economic changes that have occurred uh, because, mostly because of COVID-19 and the way that COVID-19 has sort of shifted people's maybe understanding or, or perceptions of, of each other and just sort of the issues that have happened, um, you know, in between that time. Um, and of course, I am not going to go into detail about every single thing, but I'm going to go through some major problems and issues that I really want to highlight. And I think the first and foremost thing to talk about is political divisions. If there's one thing that COVID-19 has shown is that there are going to be some very big political divisions throughout not just Canada, but throughout much of the world. I mean, I, I can't name one country that didn't have some sort of issue when it came to implementing lockdowns. In just about every country, there was, you know, people who wanted to implement lockdowns, and then there was people who didn't want to implement lockdowns at all. And, and I'm not even talking about, you know, after implementing lockdowns a few times. I'm talking about the very beginning of this pandemic. You know, in Canada, there was multiple parties, multiple people that just said that even though COVID was a, you know, a, a disease that could kill people, we shouldn't lock down because that would be an infringement to our liberty, you know, our freedoms. You know, people would say that we are free people and we should be allowed to do whatever we want. And to that, I say, you can't be free if you're dead because your freedom goes away the minute you die. So rather than dying and losing that freedom, maybe it is a better idea to go into a lockdown. And yet, people really didn't buy that. You, you really saw that in many countries where there were people that were so adamant that it would be wrong to go into a lockdown or people that would complain at the very instance of a lockdown. Like, I understand that, you know, the government maybe wasn't doing enough to help everyone. And, and that's another problem in itself. But there's very few things you can do when there's a global pandemic that is airborne that can kill people just by, you know, them breathing onto you. There's very little you can do. A lot of governments were put in a very difficult position. And I'm not going to excuse any government for the way that they acted, if they, you know, acted with authority or whatnot. And I'll get into this later. But at the end of the day, there's very little you can do to counter COVID-19. 
And then aside from that, you know, then the even weirder people, I would say, are the people who outright denied that COVID-19 was even a thing. You know, a lot of these people denied that COVID-19 was a disease. They said that COVID-19 was just, you know, a, a, uh, a flu. It's a flu that apparently can kill you, which makes it not much of a flu because the flu doesn't kill you, right? We have medicine to counter the flu. That's why the flu doesn't kill you. We don't have medicine, or we didn't at the time uh, when, of course, COVID began. We didn't have medicine to counter COVID. So, of course, you have to take drastic measures. I'm not saying I like lockdowns. I don't like lockdowns. You don't like lockdowns. Everyone doesn't like lockdowns. But people didn't have much of a choice. You know, you had to go into lockdown because there was very little you could do to counter COVID-19. And then, of course, the weirder thing was, and of course, this baffled me to no end, was that even when the people who were against COVID-19 lockdown saw that the vaccines were being rolled out, they didn't want to get the vaccine because they didn't trust the vaccine. Now, listen, I understand when the vaccines first came out, people were a bit hesitant to get them. I understand that. That's fine. Uh, you know, the problem came that when the vaccines were still being implemented and it was clear that they were safe, you know, they weren't going to hurt anyone, they were safe, yet people still didn't want to take them because the government was telling them what to do and they didn't want to do that. And, and I know that some of you might be listening to this from outside of North America or from Europe and you might think, well, that's not happening in my country. Well, you're lucky then because it was happening here in Canada. It was happening a lot here in Canada. It's just so bizarre and weird. Like, there are these people who will recognize that something is good. They will recognize that something is beneficial, but because the government told them to do it, they won't. Why? Because the government shouldn't tell people what to do, and they will literally die for that reason. And it's kind of absurd, in my opinion. And this, of course, leads to the next thing that happened in COVID-19 and one that I think everyone sort of saw in one way or the other. But it was the absurd, absurd conspiracy theories and the numerous conspiracy theories that people had on COVID-19. And like I'm talking about some bizarre COVID-19 conspiracy theories, like some of these conspiracy theories didn't even make sense. Like, yes, I know that there are shady things that happen uh, you know, around the world that, you know, shady people do shady things. Yes, 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 that's all true. But some of these conspiracy theories, I mean, it, it was just baffling. And, you know, the one that I always hear, and, and it, it makes my head hurt listening to this, because it's so stupid. It literally takes 10 seconds to disprove it. But there are people out there who believe that COVID-19 vaccines have microchips, that will activate as GPS trackers. And that's why the government wants you to take the vaccine so that they can implement GPS trackers inside of you. Which, I mean, why the heck would they do that? Why would they go to such lengths just to put GPS trackers inside of you when that phone you have has a GPS on it as well? The GPS on your phone can be used to track you. If the government really wanted to track you, they would just track you through your GPS on your phone. And yet, somehow, people didn't put two and two together there. I mean, come on, right? Like, these people are just 
putting out conspiracy theories for the sake of, I don't know, just not trusting the government. Like, if there's one thing I learned during COVID, it's that there are a lot of people. And I understand why people, some people don't trust the government. I understand that. But there's a limit to that, right? There's a limit to that. There's a limit to the point where you can say, I don't trust the government. But that's what we saw. And, you know, just before anyone says, it wasn't just non-Muslims. I know a lot of Muslims that were anti-vax, that don't trust the government, that think, you know, COVID isn't that serious. Like, it's like, what happened? Like, what, where did this come from? Why do our communities believe this? You know, why, why is it that there's people out there who believe this stuff so, you know, so, uh, you know, with, with such authority? Where did this come from? And on the other side, you know, there's the other part of COVID, and that's that the lockdowns itself uh, were used in many authoritarian ways. And, and this is where I sort of sympathize with some people who don't like COVID-19 lockdowns, although there's, again, different degrees to this. In Canada, we had COVID-19 lockdowns that locked down people fairly, right? It locked down everyone. It didn't lock down certain people and not other people. Everyone was under a lockdown. And, and of course, that's fair, right? Except the fact that in some countries, that didn't happen. In some countries, a lot of governments use the lockdowns as a way to use their authority to attack specific minority groups. And I think the excellent example, and one that uh, I think, I'm not trying to target this country by any means, but I think an excellent example is that of India, where COVID-19 was routinely blamed and was specifically targeted at, and was continuously used as an authoritative measure to restrict people in India, specifically at Indian Muslims and other Indian minorities like Indian Sikhs, the Indian Christians, but specifically Indian Muslims. There are multiple times when the, uh, the lying media that exists within India would say that it was just the Indian Muslims that were causing COVID. Everyone else was fine, but just Indian Muslims were responsible, which of course makes no sense because it's a respiratory disease. All it takes is someone to breathe on you and you can get it. So, you know, it could have literally come from anyone. But of course, the media blamed Indian Muslims specifically and the Indian government, uh, because they are so anti-Muslim, also used the opportunity to blame on Muslims. They blamed Muslims for gathering in mosques. They blamed Muslims for gathering during Eid and other celebrations as well. The irony, of course, is that during the same time, the Indian government had no problem, and, and, I'm not gonna, and I'm not specifically picking on Hindus here, but they had no problem on Hindu celebrations or Hindu festivals happening throughout India. They were totally fine with that. And, and of course, I'm not picking on Hindus. I'm not saying that Hindus are responsible for that. But you see the, the way that COVID-19 was used by government to restrict and authoritatively you know, punish certain minority groups. And there's way more for this. And you know, I do actually hope sometime in, in the future that I can make an episode about whatever the heck is going on in India because it seems like every few months there's a new problem that arises for Indian Muslims. And, you know, uh, inshallah for them that they can find, uh, you know, peace for whatever, I, I don't know what the heck the government there is trying to do, but, you know, there's a lot of, of course, 
obstacles for Indian Muslims that they've had to go through, uh, you know, in, in the past few months even, not just even the past few years, in the past few months um, that, you know, hopefully uh, can be, I don't know, I don't even know if I want to say resolved, but just be over with, you know, no more of whatever's going on in India towards Indian Muslims. And really here, you know, the, these points about authoritarianism, you know, conspiracy theories, people, uh, you know, lacking compassion towards each other. You know, this is where I want to link back to Islam. Because, you know, as I've seen what's been happening across the world, you know, and, and many of the negative impacts that have happened to people, uh, many of the, of course, unfortunate things that people have been going to, you know, I, I, I really can't help but relate back to many of, you know, the hadiths and the warnings that are within the Quran that really do seem to highlight all of these problems. You know, like, I just can't help but look back and, you know, when you read the Quran or you read a translation of it, you know, and you think about what's happening right now, you look at it, you got to say, you got to say like, oh man, like there, there's a lot of similarities. You know, the warnings that are in the Quran about stuff like, you know, the increase in false testimony, or, or I should say, I think this comes in a hadith mainly, but, you know, there's the increase in false testimony, lying, distrust of others, you know, tyrants and hate towards one another. You know, it's become so common in the past decade that I, I can't help but read some of these things and think, wow, you know, like the Quran and the hadiths are basically warning us of just that. You know, the Quran especially talks about, you know, how tyrants act and behave. It talks about, you know, the Pharaoh, the people of Mecca, you know, etc., etc. You know, the, the, all the, you know, the people of every prophet's, you know, area, basically, uh, that thought that they were, you know, the kings of the world. And you're looking at someone like Vladimir Putin in, in Russia, right? He's doing exactly that, right? He's invading another country just because he can, you know, and, and in, in both the Quran and the Hadith. Right? There's so many warnings about the tests and hardships that humanity is supposed to face. There's so many things that we're supposed to go through, that we're supposed to sort of fight through and struggle, especially you know, as you get closer to the Day of Judgment. I am, of course, not making a Day of Judgment prediction, so please don't think of it that way. Uh, I'm not one of those people that constantly makes Day of Judgment predictions. But I'm just saying, right, like there's a lot of warnings that the Quran gives us. And uh, it's just maybe kind of eye opening as a Muslim to read that and then look at the world. You know, there's so many warnings about hypocrites or false leaders in, you know, both religious and secular instances. It says, you know, in many parts of, you know, the Hadith, it warns us that people will just falsely believe what they want. Right. The, the general, you know, ideas uh, people will just falsely believe. You know, you look at, for example, uh, the Uyghurs, the Rohingya and Indian Muslims, right? They're facing incredible difficulties, you know, incredible difficulties. And yet, you know, it seems like so much of the world is just choosing to ignore it. Right? Like they're just choosing to ignore the fact that, you know, the world uh, is watching three people, three different groups, the Uyghurs, the Rohingya and the Indian Muslims, facing, you know, discrimination and genocide and, you know, uh, annihilation almost, right? To what the Chinese are doing to the Uyghurs, it, it is a genocide. To what happened to the Rohingya, that was a genocide as well. And to what's happening to the Indian Muslims, it's almost as if the Indian government is trying to basically destroy Indian Muslims entirely. 
And I think that that's something where, you know, the amount of hate and kind of the spread uh, and hate towards others is crazy when you really put it into perspective. And yet that's something that's happening across the world right now. It's something that is happening so much more and more and so much more often as well. And even here in North America, you know, the increase of white supremacist groups. And in fact, in a lot of, you know, white countries in, in areas like Australia, New Zealand, in Europe, in North America, white supremacist groups that want to destroy and kill anyone who is a person of color and is not Christian. And, and that's just been rampant. And on top of that, the rampant growth of conspiracy theories of, as well, right? The false liars, as, as you know, the Quran or the Hadith might call them. Right? These are the people who will lie. They will lie so that they can get you know, whatever they want, so they can get power, they can get fame, they can get fortune. These are people who will continue to push you know, these, these lies of conspiracy theories, you know, to tell people not to take the vaccine. They'll lie to people uh, to not you know, take COVID-19 seriously. And, and you know, these people don't know what they're talking about, but they're putting it out there because they are liars. And, you know, and, and I, I also mentioned this before as well, of course, with Russia and Ukraine, right? The tyrants like Vladimir Putin, right? He's invading Ukraine to do what? He's invading Ukraine because he wants Ukraine. He wants that land and the power for himself. And, you know, I, I, you just can't help but sit there and think, like, that is exactly the tyrannical kind of thing that the tyrants that are mentioned in the Quran did. They only cared about their own power. You know, do you think Vladimir Putin cares about the fact that there's probably some young Russian 18-year-old kids who are in the army that are dying because they're having to fight a war that he started? Do you think he cares? He probably doesn't, right? And, and I think that this is where, you know, as a Muslim, especially reading it, you know, in the context of the 21st century, where sometimes you can definitely say that I think Muslims sometimes lose the context of what the Quran really is. And for me, when reading the Quran and seeing these events, it reinforces not just that you know a lot of the things in the Quran are applicable to us, but it really gives, I think, a different context of meaning to what the idea that the Quran is a book for all of humanity, right? The Quran is a book for all of us. The Torah or, you know, the, the Bible, you know, the, or I should say the Injil, um, right? All these books came out and, you know, they were for the people of the time, but then they were replaced, of course. The Quran isn't. The Quran is the last and final book. It's the last and final message. It's the last and final warning. And it's for all of humanity, literally. All the people that came before us and all the people that will come after us, too. And if you see that, I think that really brings new meaning to some of the words when it mentions things about tyrants or, you know, the way that the oppressors or, or the people who oppress others, sorry, act. Because it is repeating itself. History is repeating itself, right? It's, it's so repetitive. And the Quran perfectly fits that. Because the Quran perfectly knew that even though, you know, the world would change, the tyrants would still exist. And I think that in the backdrop of the 21st century, this is something, you know, that is really important because 
I want to take you guys back for a little history lesson, and it's going to be a short one. I hope it's not too long, um, but a little history lesson is that when the Soviet Union originally fell, right, it was considered to be the end of communism, right? Like when the Soviets fell, the Americans and much of you know Europe and, and the West celebrated because they said that, oh, the communists are gone, you know, long live democracy, long live liberalism. They were chanting praises. They were, you know, they were parading through the streets. They were all happy. And, and yet, really, uh, when you look at what happened since then, it's not really been that. A perception, and, and one that was quite common in uh, the Western world, was that now that communism was dead, every country in the world was going to adopt democracy as its system, and every country in the world was going to become better because they had adopted democracy. And that because of that, because they had adopted democracy, the world was going to be in a golden age, a golden age where democracy would allow new heights to be reached for human achievement, and that people would finally begin to work together, that people would finally begin to cooperate with each other, because of course, they were democracies, they weren't going to go to war with each other, they were going to cooperate with each other. And yet, when you look at that, and you listen to that, and you look at where we are now, you can't help but sort of laugh at everything that they believed in. Because, I mean, well, it didn't happen, right? It didn't happen. It didn't happen the way that they said it would. They didn't, they didn't bring peace to the world, right? And, and I think that that, again, is, is the context where you look in the Quran. And the Quran was, of course, the exact opposite of what the, you know, the, the West was saying at the fall of communism. If you read the Quran, the Quran would say to you that, no, 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 no bad things are going to happen, like bad things are still yet to happen, and that, you know, the world, it's not going to find peace just like that, right? Like there's going to be a lot of bad things that are going to happen, right? We know from the Hadiths themselves that there were going to be issues, that every generation or so, you know, faces issues and whatnot, right? There's, of course, the warnings about the signs of the Day of Judgment, and a lot of those signs are about people, you know, fighting each other or not trusting each other or, you know, bad characteristics evolving into humanity. And, and you know, one that always, uh, that always sticks with me is that, you know, th there's a lot of hadiths that talk about how, you know, family relations will be terrible, how people won't trust each other, how people will hate each other. And, you know, to some degree, that, that is, you know, apparent, that I, I think... Uh, I can't bring up the statistics off my head, but I know I've read a lot of statistics about how, you know, divorces in a lot of the Western world is really high. You know, suicide rates are really high. You know, a lot of these things that should have been done, you know, that shouldn't be as much of a problem are a problem. Because again, you know, that prediction, the idea that communism was dead and now the world was going to live in a utopia never happened. And again, right? Like you, you read the context of the world and then you read the Quran and there's almost a sense of like, or, you know, not just the Quran, the Hadiths as well. And there's almost like a sense of, of you know, the, the world sort of being understood in a better way. And, and I think that that's in a, a really, I don't know how to phrase this, a cool thing? A cool thing? I don't know if cool thing is the way I want to say it, but, you know, it is. It's interesting. 
to, to really look at the Quran. You kind of find new meaning in it to see that even these things that were predicted so long ago, they're happening again because the Quran knew, of course the Quran knew because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that they were going to happen again. And that humanity can try and say and you know reach new heights that, oh, we'll end everything, we'll do all this. No, right? Like there will always be a struggle, right? And, and I think that in that point, you know, there's maybe a moment of reflection that we should have. A moment of reflection, you know, about the tests that we face as humans and as Muslims, right? That every generation is tested, right? I, I, I don't think that that's an uncommon thing to believe. I, every Muslim, every generation, every group of people is tested in some different way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly tests us. And, and He constantly, you know, tries to show, you know, who is the true believer, right? I, I can't remember... What the you know what the actual phrase was, but I do remember you know a, a lecture I think it was by Mufti Mank, where he talked about how you know a struggle is really a test, right? Because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala will give you all these things, but then He'll test you to see if you really believe, right? Because a true believer understands on one hand that the things of the world, of course, are just temporary, and that you know the struggles that you go through are doable if you believe in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And of course, I'm very much shortening that explanation because I just went through it quickly because, I mean, I can't go into the entire explanation. But I do think that there's a reflection that you have to have when seeing all these tests that we faced and kind of reflect on how did you deal with them? You know, what did you do during these tests? And, and of course, everyone is different. I'm not saying one thing that works for one person will work for another. But there were different tests that we all went through. And I think that to some degree, we really do need to reflect on them and try to understand, like, how did we do this? And what maybe should we do next time? And I think that relating back to me specifically, and, and this comes back to, you know, living in the West, you know, living in Canada, or even anyone who lives in America or, you know, in other parts of Europe or in Australia or New Zealand, I think that sometimes, especially us that live in the West, compared to the rest of the world, you know, we live such comfortable lives. And I think that's something that people should really admit, seriously. You know, people who live in the West live very comfortable lives compared to some other parts of the world. There's, there's parts of the world where people were impacted by COVID because they couldn't even, you know, they couldn't go to work at all. And, and that's a struggle that those people would have had to go through because they wouldn't have been able to interact with others because of COVID. And that's why I say that, you know, those of us who, who live in the West, who have such comfort, you know, I, I think that we do need to take a second to really realize the, the privilege that comes with living with such comfort and that we shouldn't forget, you know, the challenges that come with the world. And that, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, you live with so much comfort and ease, you forget what it really means to be challenged. And I think that COVID has been that for a lot of us. You know, a lot of us, especially in the West, where, you know, it's just changed the way that our, our comfortable lives were. And I think this is a perfect example, and this is somewhat of a comedic example, and it's an unfortunate one, but it did happen. Here in Canada, I think, I don't know if it's only Canada, it might have been America too, so the Americans aren't off the hook for this, 
But one thing that happened, and some of you who aren't in the West will laugh at this, but when COVID-19 actually hit, um, the first thing that some people started to buy or, you know, mass buy in terms of like, they just kept trying to hoard as much as they could was toilet paper. That's right. Rather than buying stuff like food or supplies or, you know, canned goods that wouldn't, you know, go out of, uh, that, that would be preserved, uh, people started to buy toilet paper. I don't know what the, the, the logic behind it was, but they started to buy as much toilet paper as possible. Um, they didn't buy sanitation equipment. They didn't buy Lysol or like soap or anything. They bought toilet paper. And I think that that's just, that's just so stupid. Seriously. Toilet paper? What are you going to do with toilet paper? Wipe the COVID away? You can't do that. Well, why are you buying toilet paper? Yet, if you went back to like early 2020 here in Canada, there was literally a shortage of toilet paper, which of course, as a Pakistani man, doesn't matter to me because I mean, Pakistanis, toilet paper, that's not what we use. That's We have a lota, so we just use that instead. If you don't know what that is, I'll explain later. Uh, but regardless... It was just so dumb to watch people who clearly, clearly, they had never gone through a struggle in their life to this degree. And, and I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge, of course. I know everyone struggles differently. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that to some degree, you can't help and sit there and say that some people have so much privilege in their life that they can go and mass buy toilet paper and still be all right. But if you were in a country that was in dire economic or social or, you know, food standard, if you didn't have that much food, do you really think they'd be buying toilet paper? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be buying toilet paper. Why would they buy toilet paper? They're going to buy stuff that actually matters, like food and supplies or, or clothing or, or shelter. But here, people were buying, you know, they, they were buying toilet paper. Of all things. Now, again, I'm not saying, of course, that every single person in the West has this kind of privilege because, of course, people, you know, were differently impacted by COVID. But you got to admit, again, toilet paper, really, guys, really? I don't know why they'd buy toilet paper. It's just it's just so dumb. It's just caught in my mind now. I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about how dumb it was to buy toilet paper of all things. But whatever. I, I got to move on anyways, you know, I, I want to move on to, to something more personal where, you know, I, I myself, you know, had my own difficulties uh, during COVID-19. And I'm sure, you know, some of you who are listening as well uh, had your own difficulties when it came to COVID-19. And, you know, I, I, I will say that, you know, I was basically unemployed for one whole year almost because of COVID-19. It was difficult, I think, to find jobs because of COVID-19 lockdowns because COVID-19 lockdowns meant that not many jobs were really hiring because they didn't know, you know, how would they make you work? Would you work from home? It was kind of a, a weird uh, feeling, right? Like, it was kind of a weird thing where, you know, you, you sort of, there just wasn't as much job growth or, or jobs available because of COVID. And, uh, you know, that was to some degree, but then the, there was, you know, other problems as well. Uh, but regardless, right, like I was basically unemployed for one whole year and it was tough. I mean, it's tough being unemployed. You can't really do anything with your life. Your life is just stuck, basically. Uh, but, you know, that that was my 
my major struggle. I mean, amongst others, of course. I mean, there was everyone's struggles on, you know, a day-to-day life. And, you know, that's just, I guess, part of being human. And that's part of, you know, living on this earth. And part of our struggle as being humans, uh, that is what we have to do. And that's part of, you know, the test that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us uh, as well. And I think that when you really do go through, you know, these personal or important struggles, I feel that you really do get a different perspective, right? I think to some degree, I feel very privileged looking at what's happening throughout some of the world. You know, I look at some of my friends who are Indian Muslims. They don't live in India right now and they don't have to feel, you know, they don't have to go through that pain that I'm sure some Indian Muslims are going through. Right now, I'm not saying that they're not going through pain because obviously for some of them, it's very frustrating to sit there and watch as basically, you know, their country basically turns on them. It's a very tough thing to watch. But everyone goes through personal and important struggles. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of change that's happening across the world. And I know that for some people, it's very difficult. But I do want to point out that change isn't always a bad thing, right? Just because change happens, it doesn't mean that only bad things will come out of it. And and this is a pretty big example, uh, and maybe not the only example, or, or definitely, definitely not the only example, but it is one example. And it's the example of when the Muslim world, or more accurately, the Middle East, was invaded by the Mongols. And during this time, of course, the Mongols, you know, rampaged through the Middle East, they rampaged through Central Asia, you know, they took over so much of the world. They were eventually defeated, of course, by the Mamluks in Egypt in the Battle of Anjalut, uh, and they defeated uh, the Mamluks, uh, or they defeated, sorry, the Mongols. And, you know, from that, quite a few actually good changes did happen. You know, for one thing, the Mongols actually ended up converting to Islam. Huh, isn't that kind of funny to think about? The same people who came and, and rampaged through the Middle East end up converting to Islam, right? And, and a lot of great empires, like the Ottoman Empire, for example, came about because of the Mongols. The Mongols led to the Ottoman Empire because it pushed the Turkish people into the area that would then become you know, Turkey and the head of you know, the Ottoman Empire. There's a lot of other good things that happened. A lot of, you know, things that changed in the world. A lot of people who interacted with each other, etc., etc. Right? I, I can't go into all of it, but a lot of great empires that came after the Mongols came in part because of the Mongol invasions. You know, there was a, a push to other parts outside of the Middle East to become, you know, the centers of Islam. You know, places in Central Asia become became a lot more important for Islam and became centers of knowledge and, and you know, of, uh, of uh, you know, of, uh, I guess, wealth as well. Uh, where, you know, India, for example, India became huge. You know, India became a much bigger player because of, you know, the Mongol invasions afterwards, at least, right? The Mughal Empire rises uh, because of, you know, of Babur and him and his, you know, uh, his kind of descendedness, or he was, sorry, a descendant of, of course, the Mongols. And, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, want to say that nothing bad could have happened from the Mongol invasion, because obviously it's a bad thing to get invaded. But at the same time, you know, the good can come. And there may be bad right now, 
but that doesn't mean that the good isn't coming, right? If you were a Muslim during the time that the Mongols invaded, you probably thought this is the worst thing in the world. You probably did not envision uh, that there would be a great Muslim empire like the Ottoman Empire that would stretch all the way from Europe to the Middle East to North Africa. You probably didn't. You thought, well, this is it. The Muslim empires are all going to, you know, die because the Mongols are going to destroy it. You know, if you were in Egypt, you probably thought that you were going to lose. And yet, and yet, the Egyptians won. The Egyptians beat the Mongols, right? The good can always come, right? And I think that if anything, you know, the changes in the world remind us that this world is a test and that for all of us, you know, it's a test. And that every day is really another day to do something good or to do something positive. And that every day is another day that we get closer to the good thing that might come or will come. Inshallah, it will come. That there's a good thing that's always waiting for us at the end. You know, of all the bad things that happen, there's always something good. Always. You go through anything that's bad that's ever happened, there's always a good that's there. And it'll come. It will come. Right? It's, it's part of what human life is on the earth. And it's what the Quran and the Hadiths tell us as well. It's what the Quran and the Hadiths teach us as well. Is that there are many bad things that will happen, but the true believer believes. And I think to some degree, even after all these things we've faced and all these things that we've gone through, we really do need to believe. And that is where I would like to end today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode um, on uh, my reflections on COVID-19, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know if that's what I'm going to call it. I actually don't know what I'm going to call this episode, but I'll think of something. And then whatever that is, just think of the name of the episode as that. Uh, so other than that, you know, again, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate the support. Uh, and for you taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you really did enjoy today's episode, please do remember to leave a five-star review at the bottom of this podcast or whatever podcast page you are listening to this from. It'll either be on the homepage uh, for the podcast or it'll be on this podcast episode. Um, so please do remember to leave a five-star review. It really does help me in producing more episodes so please do remember to leave a five-star review. It really does help me in producing more episodes. And as well as if you guys could check me out on Instagram, it's Muslims in your backyard. I post a variety of other things there as well as episode updates and uh, just some general posts as well. And I will try to post more uh, on Instagram, although I am kind of busy because of work, but I'll do my best to, to keep up with it. And as well as uh, next week's episode will likely be an episode on China, um, unless I change it last minute, although I doubt it. I want to actually take next week's episode to really focus on the Muslims in China and specifically go over some interesting facts or details uh, that people may not know about China or specifically Chinese Muslims and their history within China. Now, with that being said, again, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed today's episode. And inshallah and alafis, we'll meet again. <laughs>